0: Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, You've joined 1043 Conversations. Uh, I'm Eric Preddy. I'm joined today by E.J. Hanks and Dylan Briggs. Um, E.J., this is our second 1043 Conversation. Uh, We got some great comments on the first conversation. Your words resonated with many listeners, and and that's really the whole point of this, to speak on topics that are relevant and timely to our current situation. I did get one question from a listener uh, that we should probably take a moment to answer. Um, E.J., you created the initial name for this effort. You called it 1043. Now, where does this come from and why do you use it?
1: A lot of the things that, that we are talking about or going to talk about are things that you know people have to learn. They have to, to be taught these, these techniques and, and the things that, that we discuss. You know, we're born with... With coping impulses and we have to learn coping skills you know in, in getting this information it goes back to the old ten codes that uh, that we have or had when we first came into it that you know 1043 was the, the ten code for information and you know now that we use plain speak that a lot of times You don't really hear the 10 codes anymore, but, um, I picked it because it is about this information that hopefully people can, can build their skill set
0: with. All right. Thank you so much. Uh, so we're joined today by Dylan uh, Briggs. Dylan is a firefighter with the town of Morrisville. Um, Dylan, thank you for joining us today.
2: No, thank you so much for having me. Looking forward to this conversation we're about to have.
0: For those that uh, don't know you that well, can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
2: Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, um, I work on a C-shift uh, at Morris Fire Department, um, doing Morris Fire Department since 2012. Um, as far as the, uh, the mental health on the first responder side of it, it uh, became my passion about uh, three years ago. And I'm a member of the uh, North Carolina Peer Support Team. Um, what the North Carolina Peer Support Team is, is we're a, a non-profit organization um, in the state of North Carolina, uh, and we provide uh, peer resources. Uh, for other first responders. We're made up of fellow firefighters, police officers, um, emergency medical service workers, and also telecommunicators at dispatch. Um, so with the team, I'm one of the two uh, central regional coordinators We're broke up into four regions for the state. We have a eastern region, a central region, Piedmont, and uh, the western region. Uh, so with that, with peer support, it is, it is exactly what it sounds like. It's almost a organized, brotherhood and sisterhood of first responders. And what we do is we listen, we relate, and we validate. We're not therapists, we're we're not trained clinicians. Uh, All of us do go through an initial two-day class that uh, teaches active listening skills, um, along with some coping mechanisms, and explains a lot of the aspects of mental health um, and resiliency within the first responder community. We are a bridge to other resources, so those other resources being EAP and CISM, uh, chaplain resources and clinicians as well. Uh, From the law enforcement side, we do work closely with uh, NC LEAP, the North Carolina Law Enforcement Assistance Program, and uh, on the fire side, North Carolina Office of State Fire Marshal. We offer uh, one-on-one, peer-to-peer, through texts, phone conversations or in-person, of course, with the uh, social distancing with the COVID-19 that in person is uh trying to uh go more on the phone and text travel with that but if we do need to do in person we will um and it's across North Carolina and the big thing about our team is everything is confidential we get that question a lot when it comes peer-to-peer everything is confidential so that's just a quick overview of the team um as far as uh, Morrison fire department goes uh here on the fire department we we just started our own peer support team with the fire department as well. We have five members, and those five members are, have been through the two-day class for North Kind peer support as well. And they're all—all all five members are members of North Kind peer support team as well. And uh, newly released uh, SOG came out of the fire department a couple months ago, and uh, I know it went through uh, a couple chains and desks up there at uh, HR and through uh, the town manager as well. Um, so something that uh, something that we could uh, look with working on PD as well, uh, on that aspect on an internal peer side.
0: So can, uh, officers lean on your expertise then for that, uh, peer support network?
2: Absolutely. Um, so the the peer support team, so our, our number for the peer support team, we do have a a hotline in North Carolina and that number is 855-7NC-PEER. Uh, that phone number goes to a automated message. However, it is monitored seven days a week from 8 a.m. to 11 p.m. And usually one of our call takers, which is other team members, uh, there's about eight of us to answer the, uh, the phone lines, uh, will, will return the call within uh, 15 minutes on average. And uh, when we do uh, uh, hook people up with a peer if they're in need, and this is not just job-related, this can be marital, this can be finance-related, anything that somebody is struggling or feels like that they're in, a, not necessarily a crisis situation yet, but want to vent more so peer-to-peer and, and see what that bridge to other resources is. Um, for example, if I have a firefighter calling the line and they've been on the job for five years, I'm not going to match them up with a 25-year battalion chief same as if we have a, a ten-year police officer calling we're not gonna we're not gonna set that police officer up with a paramedic it's going to be more peer-to-peer uh, when you call the line uh, the only questions that are really asked is an approximate age uh, gender and uh, area of the state and well, what profession you're in
0: so it's obvious having had some, a couple of conversations with you that uh, you have a, a passion for for what you're doing. What, what drives your passion, Dylan?
2: So um, I, I kind of fell into uh, the whole peer support thing, that, like I said, about three years ago. Um, I had a, an off-duty incident that happened to me in which uh, I, w- I was lost, broken, if you will. Um, it wasn't on the job. Uh, it was off-duty, but... Uh, I was really struggling, to be honest with you. And um, what got me through it was the Brotherhood of the Fire Department. I can pretty much tell you after that incident that every member of Morrisville Fire Department either called or texted me to check up on on me and how I was doing. And uh, not just that, to others, brothers, and sisters um, from other departments as well. And uh, that really resonated with me. And I thought, you know, there's something to this. Let me look into this. if there's anything more organized with it. And that's when I found the North County Peer Support Team. They were in their infancy when I found them. I took the second two-day class that was ever taught. I took it at um, the Public Safety Campus at Wake Tech at Chapanook Road. And I'll be honest with you, when I took the class, the initial two-day class, I thought to myself, this is great information. This is exactly what I was looking to learn. However, peer support is not for me. I don't think that I could help anybody. I don't think that I would be a good peer supporter. Uh, I understand it, this is great information, but I just don't think I would be good at it. Fast forward about six months after I took the class, and it kind of fell into my lap. Uh, a friend of mine, um, who was also a firefighter, he had a uh, he had an incident where it ended up, his company officer um, ended up being a line of duty death. Uh, he was involved with it, uh, his company officer died in the line of duty uh, while he was there, and I had a phone conversation with that individual after the incident, and I found myself using some of the things that I learned in that two-day peer support class to help the individual, not even knowing I was doing it until after the conversation, and what resonated with me was that after our phone conversation, he told me, he said, you know what, man, you were the first person that didn't want to know anything about the incident, you wanted to know how I was doing, and that really made a difference in me. So. From there, I kind of dove head into it. Uh, Now all I do is I I research mental health in the fire service and uh, first responders. um, I've dove into uh, healthy sleep practices from that to the uh, correlation between mental and physical health, um, mindfulness practices, uh, positive coping skills, um, and just to see where I can incorporate that into the peer support
0: world and we're gonna get into quite a bit of that over the next uh, few minutes. Um, I wanna start with though this this feeling of heaviness. I wanna dive into this topic for just a moment, Um, especially as it relates to COVID-19. I was reading an article today that described one's personal battle with COVID-19. The writer uh, spoke to both his mental and physical struggles with the illness. It's interesting that he said it, you know, he's getting better physically every day Uh, He's breathing better um, He's getting stronger, but he says his mental well-being is suffering his anxieties related to the illness He states is overwhelming. So I ask you both uh, EJ and Dylan What does this mean in terms of heaviness that weighs on many of us today?
2: Well, uh that uh, you referred to, and I think that EJ could probably expand on this even more. Um, I also read an article that came out in the uh, Harvard Business Review um, and shared that with the fire department as well. Uh, This this heaviness that we're feeling, often we can associate that with grief, and as first responders, we're very solution-oriented individuals. We, We respond to calls, and we solve problems, usually as a team. So... Especially in the world of mental health, uh, the solutions are not always clear and they're not always linear. And it sometimes it can help us if we can put a name to what we're feeling. So, in the article, it discussed putting the name of grief to this feeling of heaviness that we're all feeling during the COVID nineteen. And with that feeling of grief, you know, there's there's five stages of grief, and um, there's also six as well that's, that's discussed in the article. But the main thing that resonates is that loss of normalcy and that loss of uh, interpersonal connections that we have with the social distancing with the COVID-19. And also uh, in the first responder community with the loss of normalcy of how we respond to calls. How we respond to calls has changed and that that changes our culture as well. And that loss of normalcy is different to us and we feel like we've lost a part of ourselves. So that's how I relate to the heaviness I, mean, I thought that article did a really good job um, of explaining that but EJ I believe you could
1: probably expand on that even more well thank you Dylan. That that's a, a good uh, kind of overview of that you know from a clinical standpoint you know what we're talking about is is essentially acute stress and all of the things that we're experiencing not just at work you know goes into to being at home you know a lot of times, the stuff that we deal with at work, you know, we can leave at work. But, you know, what we're dealing with now, we get it at work and we get it home and we get it everywhere we go. So, you know, a lot of the symptoms that we're talking about, you know, with the anxieties play into that, uh, the the acute distress or the acute stress that, you know, realistically, depending upon what's going on in your life, can can feed into it being a, a traumatic event. You know, and if left untreated, you know, things can get quite a bit worse with, uh, you
0: know, with the, uh, the symptoms. So that uh, article that you're referring to, um, Dylan, that article is entitled uh, That Discomfort You're Feeling is Grief. It's written by Scott uh, Bernato. I believe I'm pronouncing his name correctly. March 23rd of 2020 in the Harvard Business Review. And I'll include that link in, a, in an upcoming email. Um, I do want to touch on. He talks about grief, and he's talking about different kinds of grief that we're experiencing uh, through this uh, through this form of heaviness. Can you can you talk a little bit about that?
2: Right. So, so in the article, he does talk about uh, different types of grief, um, and with that, we know. Um, uh, Grief, we've all we've all been explained kind of the stages of grief before, uh, denial, anger, uh, bargaining, sadness, and acceptance uh, being the five stages. With the six being meaning. Uh, but what he goes into in the article is uh, the anticipatory grief, um, and and that's that's the mind going into the future and anticipating the worst. And I think that relates a lot to the loss of normalcy because it's it's a feeling of uneasiness and. And unsure, none of us know what the future holds after COVID nineteen. We don't know what the world's going to look like after COVID nineteen, and that that's related to this type of grief. Um, but to calm ourselves, if we come into the present and and we control what we can control now, if if we make steps to to social distance ourselves and we make steps to to kind of adjust to this new norm in society, then that can help calm some of that calm some of those nerves and those stressors that, that are related to this, this different world that we're living in now. Um, and, and I think that's a, that's a really good way to look at it. You know, if this anticipatory grief is us looking for the future in our uncertainty, but if we come back to the present and see what we can do now, we can better manage and feel less stress of how we're
0: going to approach the future if we take everything one step at a time. Yeah, and he offers uh, four techniques to deal with that, and uh, and I would like to share that as well, and that's find balance in the things that you're thinking, um, and then secondly, come into the present. Thirdly, he says, let go of what you can't control, and fourth, stock up on compassion. Uh, how do those resonate with you, EJ? Well, you know,
1: those are basically talking about... Um, what uh, Dylan had mentioned before about anchoring yourself into the present, control what you can control right now. We can't, you know. A lot of times, anxiety is, is just looking for a reason. You know, particularly if we're thinking of things that that haven't occurred in the future. You know, we can get wrapped up in, in, in just that, or thinking in thing in terms of things that have occurred in the past and. You know, it's when we are able to anchor ourselves into the present that, you know, the anxieties of what hasn't happened and what's already occurred, they, they're they better managed uh, in the present. And in the present is where we can redirect our focus and attention. You know, and you talked about the, the compassion, you know, that, that goes along with, with everything else. You know, you, you've got to cut some people some slack during this as well that... You know, everyone's kind of experiencing uh, this in, in a lot of the same ways, but in, in ways that we really don't know. Um, so you know, I think those kinds of things are what's going to help us get through that. And, and I said, as I mentioned before, you know, we have to be taught these things. You know, how do you how do you anchor yourself in the present? What is mindfulness? All these things, you know, that, that we're not born with and a lot of times in public safety, they don't teach us those things.
0: So let me ask you this, this heaviness that we've been talking about. Is this a form of PTSD or manifestation of something else? Dylan, what's your thoughts on that?
2: So EJ would probably be able to go more into the PTSD. Um, I think that we're managing this as an acute stress. And um, when I say we're managing this as an acute stress, there's a difference between PTS and PTSD. So... Uh, And I like to describe those as being acute versus chronic. So, so PTSD being post-traumatic stress, we all experience stressors. um, And in public safety, those stressors are different than than the normal population. So uh, these stressors are our common response to traumatic situations. So these symptoms that we're feeling that may be related towards PTSD, yes, that would be accurate we're dealing with um a traumatic or stressful events right now with with the uneasiness and and an unassuredness of COVID 19. where ptsd being uh more, more chronic and diagnosed by a clinician uh you know the symptoms need to last longer than 30 days and you have to meet all criteria in order to be diagnosed with ptsd but do i think that on the ptsd side we are dealing with um and processing through some post-traumatic stress with this yes i do
1: EJ, what are your thoughts? Well, you know, I think a, a lot of, of what we deal with in public safety is is a culmination of of traumatic events. You know, do they meet the threshold of a of a diagnosed uh, post traumatic stress disorder? Um, you know, I don't know, but I think what what's going on now can certainly exacerbate uh, a lot of these symptoms that you know we kind of manage day to day that we keep. Uh, from turning into something that that is that is chronic and stays along the the manageable levels so you know this stress that we're experiencing now um, you know is almost the same as going to a a critical event you know that this is something that impacts us and can certainly exacerbate a lot of, of you know avoidance tendencies and and to changes in mood or the hypervigilance that that
2: we can experience uh, during stressful or critical events, I agree with that, uh, EJ. And you know, with that being said, you know it is very closely relatable to going to a traumatic event, except for it is prolonged. So we're not used to how prolonged this particular event is. I believe it's the same traumatic event; it's just prolonged over a longer period of time. And how we're dealing with that is a little um, is a little different. We're, we're unsure on our coping mechanisms with something that lasts this long and is ever-changing because you know every day in the new cycle there's something that's coming out about it. How we're responding to those calls every day there's something that's coming about it. So I really think that resiliency practices and different techniques will really help, uh, help mitigate some of these stresses that we're feeling. And I know that you've talked about uh, mindfulness before and uh, mindfulness is something that, that I started practicing a couple years ago um, through meditation, and um, and that's something that, like you said, they don't teach us. They don't teach us that in the academy. They don't. They don't teach uh, firefighters, police officers, mindfulness techniques. But it really is, uh, in my opinion, um, a great way to to relieve that stress and to anchor yourself uh, back to your mind and body.
0: Well, that leads me right into kind of the next thing that I would like to discuss, and that's the stigma associated with. Uh, mental health in the first responder community. So e, EJ and I, Dylan, have, have talked quite a bit about the stigma. I would like your thoughts on this and how do we minimize or eliminate this barrier? Right. This
2: is, the, this is the number one barrier that, that prevents us from, from, A, educating other first responders on mental health, and B, to start putting resources into it. And that bear being, you know, we all have heard people say uh, they have the rescuer mentality. I am the rescuer. I, I, don't, need, I don't need help. Um, there's the fear of appearing weak. There's the fear of embarrassment to coworkers. Uh, sometimes there's even the fear of losing their job. Um, and then there's the fear of cost of mental health treatments. Well, we need to break down that stigma. And in order to do that, that takes leadership from top to bottom, bottom to top. And uh, what I like to refer to in the fire service is, the fire service has something that we call the senior man. The senior man has nothing to do with rank. Um, the senior man is a very trusted member of a fire department. And that senior man is very knowledgeable and usually is looked at uh, looked at by as a mentor to others. Um, this individual usually mentors uh, young guys coming up. And when you can start taking these senior guys and gals and you can start having them preach breaking the stigma and preach mental health to some of the younger generations that come up in the fire service that really resonates with everybody as a whole even the even those that don't say it resonates with them it resonates with them because they see that leader they see that they see that person saying hey you know what i'm the i'm the rough tough fireman i'm the rough tough police officer that that I can do anything and I can run these calls and I can mitigate these situations. But hey, I also have to put maintenance into myself. Because what we want to build is we want to build a resilient first responder. Uh, and that resiliency is going to be a combination of, of their mental health, their physical health, uh, how good they are at their job. I mean, we train and train and train. I mean, at the fire farm, we're going to throw ladders, we're going to pull hose, we're going to We're going to place apparatus, we're going to do that on a daily and weekly basis. Just like at the police department, you guys are going to train on clearing buildings and responding to different calls on a daily and weekly basis. Well, part of that training as an overall, to build an overall resilient first responder needs to, we need to talk about mental health. And with with that being said, you know, breaking out of that stigma and I talk about leaders, you show true strength as a leader when you address this as something that needs to be talked about and i like to use uh chief adam snyder as an example uh a lot, a lot of firefighters know chief adam snyder was he was the fire chief of atlantic beach fire department here in north carolina and uh, fortunately he passed away about a year and a half ago uh in a, a tragic skiing accident well adam uh chief snyder was known across the state as a very uh firefighters fire chief if you will um cared about his guys still ran calls with them, uh, much, like, uh, much like our administration here at Morrisville. And uh, he was looked at very, as a very strong individual as well and a very resilient person that, you know, nothing could touch him. Teflon would just roll right off of him. He was uh, the pipe major for the for North Carolina Brotherhood Pipes and Drums Band, so a lot of firefighters and police officers from across the state knew him for that. Well, when he reached out um, with his mental health struggles, and he started explaining to everybody, hey, I've been down this road before. It sucks, but we need to talk about this so that we can mitigate these situations and we can grow from this. He, he wasn't looked at as weak. He was looked at as even more of a leader after that than he was before. He was looked at even more of a stronger individual than he was before that. And that led him into um, teaching across the state um, mental health and uh, uh, suicide prevention and uh, PTSD awareness. He was also the the uh, first first responder in the state of North Carolina to be uh, granted uh, workers' compensation for diagnosed PTSD. And so I know I rambled a little bit there, but but in all breaking down the stigma, it, it doesn't start from the top and it doesn't start from the bottom. It's a culmination of everybody. And if you can make it an active topic in the firehouse and an active topic at the police department it's just changing that culture it's changing that culture of saying hey it's okay not to be okay and we are here for each other just in the same way that the firefighters we don't run we don't run calls by ourselves police officers yes you're you may be assigned to your squad car by yourself but when it comes to those those large incidents you're not running those calls by yourself. You know your brother or your sister's right behind you. You know your backups coming. Well, when it comes to the world of mental health, if we ran these calls as a team, why do we let ourselves suffer alone? If we reach out to each other and we support each other within our culture and within our network, we will process through this together as a team and we will process through what's going on in our head together as a team and that will help
0: break break the stigma. I think that's well said dylan and we we have a couple more minutes left and and i want you you and i had a recent conversation and you, and you introduced the term mental health buddy checks to me and, I, and i'd like you to take a moment and just please describe what that is and how we can use them to support each other yeah absolutely buddy checks is it, they're, they're pretty
2: simple and um A lot of you do it, not even knowing you do it. It's just putting a term to it. So it's just checking up on your brothers and sisters, saying, "Hey, how are you? How you doing today?" It may be a call, it may be a text, it may be in person. And a lot of times, you'll get that I'm fine, okay. But you can tell the difference between the I'm fine if you're really okay or if you're "Ah, there's something up with that individual. And that's you know. Reiterate. Hey, no, really. I, I care about you. I'm here for you as a brother or a sister. How are you? Like, is there anything you want to talk about? And you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised how often some people like. You know what? I, I you know, I, I got this thing on my mind. That I do want to talk to you about. And just being asked at the same time can relieve a lot of stress that they might have pent up inside them. And just being able to vent to somebody else, whether it's the firehouse kitchen table or. It's, it's between between the, the driver's windows of your squad cars. I know how you guys park uh, and, and talk to each other. I think that's awesome. Um, but it's just that simple buddy check. And at the same time where if you see a police officer or firefighter walk to the station and they're limping, you say, hey, he has physically hurt his ankle. Well, not all the time when they're just walking by do you, do you know if they're struggling on the inside. And you can't really see uh, internal pain as much. So just simply asking, hey, how are you? You know, you're going to get a vibe off of them. You're going to be able to see how they're doing um, on the inside and, and without just, you know, glancing at them as they walk by. So it's an easy accountability that you can introduce into uh, your culture. Um, and, uh, it, and also, when I talk about this, this doesn't just pertain to the, the, the still on-duty working, working guys and gals. This also pertains to our retirees. So any of you out there, if you have uh, recent retirees from the police or fire department, that you used to be close with uh, when they were on the job and they have, they've since retired, reach out to them, see how they're doing, you know? Because they, they at the same time, they're now disconnected from that from that culture and that brotherhood and sisterhood that they knew for 25, 30 years. Um, and we can get into this at another time. I know we're running short on time, but Sebastian Younger wrote a book called Tribe. And that tribe mentality is very closely related to police, fire, EMS, and military. Um, and when we lose that sense of tribe, um, a lot of times just having somebody that was part of your tribe reach out and talk to you um, really helps. And that, and that resonates a lot with the retirees.
0: Well, Dylan, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. I think you add so much to this conversation and, uh, and we look forward to having you back and, and sharing some more conversations with you. I also want to thank our listeners for tuning in to 1043 Conversations. I encourage each of you to send me topics of interest that you would like for us to explore in future shows. If you would like to be a guest or, you know, someone that, uh, or others that would find interest, I encourage you to email me at jpredy at town of org. That's J P R E D D Y at town of uh, Next week, EJ and I will be talking with Sergeant Jason Miller from the town of Morrisville police department about physical fitness and how physical fitness supports total body wellness. So, I hope you'll join us next week. In the meantime, stay safe, stay well, and know that we're in this together. Take care. <laughs> Dylan, that was outstanding, man. Good job. All right. Thank you, sir. Uh, I know-